Welcome to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. I'm again glad that you're with me today as I am continuing this series of podcasts now on the subject of what's happening. And I'm dealing with issues uh, that we face not only at home and the workplace and in, in, uh, in our American the culture, but all around the world, really. These are um, issues that we have to, to face. We uh, covered in our first uh, subject under what's happening, the idea of politics and government. And I hope you'll go back if you haven't already and listen to those. And so we moved on to a second uh, subheading, subcategory under the the umbrella of this thought of what's happening in our world and how, how we have to face issues that are all around us. We're talking about social issues. And I thought it was a good um, subject to to segue into after uh, dealing with politics and government because so much of what's happening in society involves our government and, and our place uh, in our society uh, through regulations and laws and law enforcement and, and what is happening in in our government, uh, Congress, uh, federal government, and, and uh, state government, and local government as well. So anyway, uh, I s- uh, started into the social issues last week, and I covered the subject of abortion. I'm going to try to limit these to one podcast per subject. I've got three or four more coming ahead of this, uh, some more on social issues. But today I want to deal with a, a major one that we all face, and it's very much in the news, very much in the media, and uh, we all have to face the issue. And, and I think as Christians have the right position on it, and that is the subject of homosexuality. Uh, and I'll include in the discussion of this podcast the whole uh, debate about transgenderism that's going on so much around us. Now, um, I want to start with a very important disclaimer, uh, a, a comment uh, to make before I go even any farther into this. And I think it's really tragic, and I have to put um, some of the blame on Christians and so-called Christian organizations, and that is that uh, we need to make it clear to homosexuals and, and people uh, in the transgender movement that we do not hate anyone. Christianity is not about hate. It's about loving People. It's about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it's really a tragic consequence because there are a few on the fringe who call themselves Christians, uh, who get all the media attention and make it look like all Christians hate homosexuals and lesbians and hate people that uh, are in the transgender movement and the whole, whole nine yards. And it, it is not the case. Uh, we don't hate anyone. Uh, we believe, like the old sentiment has been expressed many times, we hate sin, but we don't hate the sinner. Uh, That is a principle, at least, that I think the Bible teaches. It'd be very much like saying, okay, how do do all of us feel about a mass murderer? Uh, We've had a bunch of these serial killers or or these mass murderers. Uh, Think about the tragedy down in Evaldi, Texas, here not far from where I live, and in DFW and in Texas where uh, this uh, deranged individual went in and killed all these children and several teachers. Of course, now what do we think about that person? Now, we don't hate the murderer, but we hate the crime. We disdain, we despise what they did. 
you have to separate the two. It's, it's so sad that the media and the public cannot seem to do that. They want to try to label all Christians as, as hateful and bigoted and intolerant uh, just because we are against certain things that God is against. See, uh, another point we have to make before going into this subject is that something is wrong because God says so, not because any person says so or we say so ourselves. We don't get to determine right or wrong. Can you imagine if we left right or wrong up to every person? Can you imagine what a a total chaos and anarchy our whole world would be? Let's say you wanted to go kill someone, and uh, you killed them, uh, and then you were going to be arrested, but you simply had can make the defense, hey, uh, I hated that person, I didn't feel they deserved to live, so I murdered them, and I think it was right to murder, and what could the society say if murder was up to just the individual? And it can't even be up to a large amount of the society, as I used the illustration uh, last week about uh, Nazi Germany, and it could be used about uh, the majority of people in totalitarian uh, regimes today. Uh, you might find a majority of the 1.5 billion people living in China who agree with atheism. That doesn't make atheism true. You could say they could agree with the intolerant way that the uh, Communist Party treats uh, people over there in China. Uh, they imprison and kill religious people uh, just because a majority of the Chinese population might say they agree with that. And in fact, they probably would be in fear for their lives to disagree with that. That um, doesn't make it so. So we have to establish right off the bat that right and wrong is not determined by the individual. There has to be a higher power, a higher accountability. And, of course, we as Christians believe there is, in fact, the overwhelming majority of all people that have ever lived have believed in some kind of higher being, higher authority to which man was accountable. Atheism is a small, small minority. And uh, the Bible says, the fool has said at his heart, there is no God. You can see why. Most people would agree with that. When you think of all that's around us, and to say this all happened by chance and came here by itself is completely ridiculous. So back to the point I'm making, it, it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter what a homosexual says, it doesn't matter what any heterosexual person says, that doesn't make one's sexuality right or wrong, it's what God says, and it's what God has designed when we talk about sexuality, uh, we know the Bible is very clear that sexuality was designed by God. Uh, by the way, I might add, some people wrongly think that we as Christians and Bible believers and churchgoers that we're in some way anti-sex. That Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, sex is found in the Bible, is created by God. It's a beautiful, uh, wonderful expression of love between husband and wife. That's how God designed it. God designed sexuality to be enjoyed. It's not just for procreation, although, of course, uh, that is one of the great and beautiful consequences of the marital act of sexual intercourse. But God designed sex to be enjoyed and to be, to be a pleasurable thing. So the Bible's not anti-sex, but God puts boundaries on things. God has limitations, as there must be in any way of life, any uh, area of life. 
there, uh, we, we enjoy certain things, but there are limits to them. Eating is a wonderful thing, but if you overeat, gluttony is condemned to the Bible, and, and obesity was harmful to your life if you overeat. We think of sleeping. It's a beautiful thing. We're, we're all glad that we can rest our bodies, but the Bible condemns laziness, uh, people who sleep too much and, and don't work. So what I'm saying is sexuality is not condemned. It's wrong sexuality or sexuality outside of the boundaries that God ordained or God set up. Uh, I like to use the illustration. I heard it when I was a new believer, and there's several similar illustrations, but it's a good one. I think sexuality can be compared to a fire, to the uh, use of fire. You know, fire has been around since man's creation. God uh, gave us these uh, these things to enrich our lives, to use to better our lives. And aren't you glad that we use fire today? We we light our stoves to cook our food. We turn on our furnace that that's run often by gas flame. And we go out and enjoy a bonfire, uh, make a fire outside with our family when we're camping or with a church group at a camp out or something. You know, fire in its proper setting contained in its area where it's supposed to be, where it's controlled, is a wonderful thing. We, we find warmth from it. We cook our food by it. We warm our water by it, all these things. But let me say this. It, when fire gets outside of the boundaries by which it's to be contained, it becomes destructive. It is a inferno of death. Think of how many people have died in house fires and in building fires and so on. And it's very much the same with sexuality. When we keep sex between husband and wife in the marriage, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing. The Bible is not against it. In fact, the Bible encourages it. But when you get sex of any kind, whether that's homosexuality, whether that's lesbianism, whether that's premarital sex, whether it's adultery, pornography, uh, even something as vile and wicked, the Bible speaks about bestiality, uh, uh, humans having sex with animals. I mean, this is, this is so dark and twisted. But the Bible is against all of that. But it's not against proper enjoyment of sex within marriage where God designed it to be. Uh, in proving to you that the Bible is not anti-sex, let me read you uh, a passage from the book of Proverbs. While I'm turning to it, I can tell you that there's an entire book that contains a tremendous amount of beautiful, sensual, you might even call it erotic language, in a good sense of that word, maybe, uh, if I can use it that way. That is the little book of Song of Solomon. If you read the little Song of Solomon, it's a short little eight-chapter book right after the Proverbs, and, and uh, or I'm sorry, right after Ecclesiastes and before uh, the book of Isaiah. You could see that. It's really a love story, and it's it has some very romantic sexual language. But listen to this passage I'll read from Proverbs 5, beginning in verse uh, number 18. Uh, God's saying to us, and these Proverbs are principles and lessons to learn from. He says, Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Of course, he's talking to a man, a husband. And that word fountain is already very sexually related. Uh, he's talking about a man in the sexual act. Uh, 
And he says, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Listen to what he goes on to say. Let her be as the loving hind and the pleasant roe. Now, he's talking about these animals like deer, basically, uh, who are very promiscuous as far as uh, repopulating and, and having uh, many young little fawns and so on. He's talking about the multiplication of animals. Many animals proliferate much more than mankind does. So he's just using an example. Well, we know the example goes right into sexuality in between the husband and wife. He says, let her breasts satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished. That word could be translated exhilarated, thrilled, always with her love, sexual love. This is the Bible. The Bible's saying these things. God's telling us to enjoy the sexual uh, union of our wives uh, as husbands, enjoy her breast, her body, these things that God has given. Men are visual, uh, and so he's telling a man, enjoy the beauty of your wife, but then he goes in the, the next verses are just as important to remember because as he's told you to, to go all out and enjoy your wife in the sexual bed, there's a verse in Hebrews that says the marriage bed is undefiled. Marriage is honorable before all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I want you to see the balance of that verse. That's uh, Hebrews 13. I believe it's verse 4. But I'm going to show it to you in Proverbs now, too, because as he tells you first that the marriage bed, the sexual union, is undefiled. There's nothing dirty about it. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they saw one another naked, naked and they were not ashamed. The shame, the, the uh, modesty about our bodies didn't come till after man sinned, and we know sexuality was intended from the very beginning. Now, Back to the passage. I don't want to forget this. After he tells us in verse 18 and 19 to enjoy sex within marriage, then he says this to the man, to the husband. And why wilt thou, my son? Now, this is Solomon who collected and wrote some of the Proverbs, collected all the rest to put into this inspired book. So he's talking to his son, Rehoboam, and he had many, many sons, unfortunately. Uh, but anyway, he's talking to his son. He says, be, he says, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished? There's the same word from verse 19, with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger. He's saying, don't do that. Why, will you, why do you even think that way? He says, it's going to be devastating. There's going to be terrible consequences. For the next verse says, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. See, God sees everything we do. So sex outside of marriage, he says here in the proverb, God's going to see it. You're going to have to give an account for it. The Bible enlisting the sins of man nearly always lists sexual sins first. Sexuality is a very powerful part of our being. Sexual attraction is of God. It's not wrong, but it has to be contained. It needs to be maintained in the limits that God has given us. If it's taken outside of those limits, we know it's destructive and wrong. Now, to the subject at hand, more specifically, what does the Bible say about homosexuality in any forms that we could say lesbianism and so on? Well, it condemns them as sin. Now, I must say, first of all, they're against nature. They're against the biological natural order. 
Um, if I didn't even have a verse or verses that, that I'll give you from the Bible, I would already have to admit, and most people with any common sense will say this and believe this, though they cannot voice that always in our present society, that homosexuality is against nature. It's unnatural. It's out of order. Our biology teaches that man and woman were to come together, not just for procreation, but for enjoyment. God made our biology, our genitals that way. We know that. So this is so easy to see. But now let me show you what the Bible says. This is very clear. I remember one time getting something uh, given to me. I was out doing some street preaching, I forget, or street evangelism or door-to-door. I can't remember what it, and I received a little booklet. I think it was when we were in California, but anyway, it said all that the Bible says about homosexuality, and then you open it up and there was nothing inside, as if these pro-homosexual people were trying to say the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality because it doesn't say anything about it. Well, I beg to strongly differ, as I'm going to show you now. The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about it, directly and indirectly. Now, let me read from Leviticus 18.22. In Leviticus 18.22, in God's law, he says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. The word abomination is a strong word for a very vile, evil sin. He said, if you lie down, and that's a sexual word, of course we know. If you lie with mankind as you were meant to lie with a woman, he's saying this to the men in general, this is an abomination. The Old Testament in, in, in the book of 1 Kings uses a very strong word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. And, and, and we don't use this word to be derogatory or hateful. We're just telling you exactly what the Bible says uh, in 1 Kings 14. Uh, the text is showing how Judah, the, uh, the land of southern Israel, Judah at that time, had become so perverted. Look at verse 22. It says, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on, on every high hill and under every green tree. So get the, get the context here. He's talking about how wicked Judah had become and they're worshiping false gods and setting up these false private worship centers. But then in the same breath, he says, and, this is verse 24, 1 Kings 14, 24, and there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now, let me say that the word sodomites there, it's a small s there. It's not a capital S. It's a descriptive word. It's talking about the sin of sodomy. We all know what that word means. We know what that is describing. It really, uh, now I'm not going to get into a long epitomology of where the word came from, but no doubt biblically we can say it has at least a compatibility, a comparison or a resemblance to the city of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, that in Genesis 19, if you read the story, it's very clear that a group of homosexuals tries to, uh, uh, in fact, rape to uh, assault these two angels that came to the home of Lot, and God struck them with blindness. And so Sodomites from Sodom, there's no doubt a correlation or connection there. But we know what the sin is, and God is saying that things had gotten so bad in Judah 
that sodomites were in the land. And they were doing according to all the what? Abominations. The same word from Leviticus 18.22. By the way, let me put a little plug in for the King James Version of the Bible. It's the one we use. It uses older English. I know a lot of people are afraid of that. But I'm really upset and, and, and disappointed by the modern version's translation uh, of verse 24. They translate that word sodomites as male shrine prostitutes uh, uh, or, or male prostitutes in some way. That loses entirely the impact. First of all, no one could guarantee that male prostitutes weren't having sexual relationships with, with women, with females, as we talk about uh, a gigolo, or that phrase is used for a man that could be hired by a woman who desires to have sex with a man. So it loses its entire meaning and, and its impact. Uh, but no one denies or, or is confused about the translation of sodomites, and we know that's what it's referring to. Now, let me go on and say for those who might claim, well, those are two Old Testament verses and, and thoughts uh, but the New Testament is changed, and God is not against homosexuality now. Uh, that is not true. That is not true at all. In fact, the passage I'm going to read now uh, makes it even stronger for God's disdain, uh, His rebuke against this sin. In Romans chapter 1, you could turn there to Romans 1, and I'll read you a couple of verses. This is a very important passage. It's really describing how sinners get away from God. They reject Him as Creator. They reject His accountability that they owe to Him, their responsibility to answer Him uh, to Him one day. I'll begin in verse 18. Uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, that get the, get the setting here. He's talking about people who deny God and reject His truth, reject their own conscience, reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and, and they go off into their own sins. And he says the wrath of God's revealed. It's coming on those kind of people. And this is a very stark, uh, harsh passage about sin and its consequences. So he goes on and says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them or made known to them, for God hath showed it unto unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In, In a nutshell, he's saying God has made himself known by the creation around us, and for people to deny that, it leaves them no excuse to, for an atheist to say there's no God, for a person to deny God's existence because they want to practice some selfish sin, sin that they uh, enjoy, sin that they want to, while denying the accountability they have with God. God is saying, one day when you stand before my judgment, you will have no excuse. Now, I want to jump down to verse 24 because this is where the real importance of the homosexual content of this passage is found. He's describing these people who go off into darkness. See, if you reject God and you won't listen to his word, you won't listen to your own conscience, you won't listen to what is reality, that God made male and female, made men and women to be together sexually, you deny that, you deny it, and you want to go off and do what you want to do. Listen to what God says. Verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. He's going to call this homosexual act unclean against nature, He says, through the lust of their own hearts, 
to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In other words, doing things that are dishonorable, that are against God's plan. They're against the natural order. Notice, who change the truth of God into a lie. These are the same people who, who reject God. They change His truth into a lie. They make up lies. They make up ways to live that, that they want to live by and reject God at the same time. Now listen to verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, passions. In other words, God doesn't force anything on you. If a homosexual wants to practice that lifestyle, they can. God's not going to stop you. And by the way, Christians are not trying to stop homosexuals from practicing their homosexual act activities. Uh, we don't believe in coming in people's bedrooms. We're not, we're not trying to pass laws to have homosexuals killed. I know there's some freaks on the, on the fringe of this issue that, that have claimed that, and, and people have brought that up and act like all Christians believe that. We, we don't believe that at all. Uh, in fact, what two consenting adults do uh, between themselves, it's their business. We have no, no problem with that at all, other than they're going to have to stand before God and answer for their uh, actions. But the idea, let me say, but the idea of changing marriage, the very word marriage is a bringing together in unity of two parts. It involves the sexual act and other things, but it's impossible to call something homosexual marriage. That's a paradox of terms. It's a total misapplication mis, uh, uh, of the phrase. Uh, you can't have a homosexual marriage because marriage can't be consummated, can't be brought together with man and wife, which is what marriage, the very word, means a unity of two becoming one. Well, back to the passage. So we see uh, God gave them up. In other words, that simply means that God allows people. He doesn't force you to live by his laws and his rules, his design. If you want to go off into a homosexual lifestyle, you can. And he mentions this. Notice verse 26. For even their women. So he mentions even the lesbian relationship. Uh, it's almost like he's saying, you know, it's one thing for, for male homosexuals. That's bad. But even women go that far into this debauchery, into this degradation did change the natural use into that which is against nature. You see that terminology? This is against the natural order. And likewise also the men. So we know now he's talking about the homosexual men. He was just talking about the lesbian women. Leaving the natural use of the woman. This is so clear. Only a person who's closed their mind to truth can deny what this is saying. Burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men. Two men, two homosexual men, working that which is unseemly. It's unnatural. It's, it's out of order. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was meet or fit or due. Recompense means a reward, a consequence, a judgment. Okay? Now, please don't misunderstand me. We're not saying homosexuals or lesbians are judged worse or, or more than any other sexual sin. All sin sends people to hell if they don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ and receive his pardon and his forgiveness. All we're saying is when people try to tell you that homosexuality is not in the Bible, they are lying to you. It's in the Bible very clearly, and God is very starkly against it. Now, I have good news, though. I want to uh, include here, and that is that homosexuals can and have been and are being saved. There is no sin that God cannot save a person from. I love 1 Corinthians. Let me read it. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verses 9 through 11. Here's what Paul wrote. 
Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He's going to describe a bunch of lifestyles and sinful ways that if you continue in these sins, he says you cannot inherit. You cannot receive. Inheritance is what you receive. You cannot receive the kingdom of God. You will not be in heaven one day. You do not have eternal life. If you are practicing these sins, notice what he says. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Remember I said earlier that sexual sin, when you have a listing of sins, seems to always be first. Uh, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now, we know those three. Fornication is all sexual sin can be lumped into that. Idolaters, those who worship idols or false gods. But then he says adulterers. That's people who go outside of their marriage, have sex with another of the opposite sex, but outside their marriage partner, their, their spouse. But then he mentions two different kinds of sins next. And there's no doubt about it that this is speaking of first the lesbian act and then the homosexual male act. He says, nor effeminate, those who are effeminate, those who among themselves, two women living together in this sexual relationship called lesbianism, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That would refer to the homosexual act between men. Then he goes, Enlist nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, he makes it very clear that if a person is living in these lifestyles, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, boy, this is an important but, they can be saved, and many have been saved. Look at the next verse. In verse 11, and such were some of you. Boy, that word were, past tense verb, is the most important word really, in this whole passage to me. It's thrilling. It's exciting to know that any homosexual, any lesbian, any person in any sinful lifestyle like that, and even the ones that aren't mentioned, he's not trying to cover all of them. He's just including uh, those in a list here. They would, they would cover any sinful lifestyle that's against God. He says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, present tense, now, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So some of these members of the church at Corinth had, a, had come from a homosexual or lesbian background, and yet they'd been saved. They'd been cleansed. They'd been washed by the blood of Christ. They'd been born again. Their sins have been forgiven. They've been justified as if they'd never sinned. They're declared not guilty. And friends, I know the, the account of many, many homosexuals, lesbians that have been saved out of that lifestyle. There's many good records of it, and I thank God for it. I'm so grateful that the power of God will save anyone. Now, let me, I, my time is getting away, but let me make a, a statement about the transgender issue, and it won't take that long because, friends, really it's very clear. The Bible makes it as clear as anything could ever be uh, stated or or shown that God only made two genders, male and female. And in fact, friend, uh, you have to believe this. This is historically sound. Up until about 30, 40, 50 years ago at the most, uh, no one ever even questioned whether there were more than two genders. See, we don't have the right to determine our gender all of a sudden, any more than I have the right to determine what skin color I was born with. Uh, these are things that God designed and God uh, ordained. You were ordained to be a man. You were ordained to be a woman, a boy or girl. You were ordained to have dark skin or light skin or whatever it is. These, you were ordained to be short like me or, or tall like others or whatever. You have blue eyes or brown eyes or, or dark hair or light hair. 
These are things that God put in our DNA, put in our creation. These can't be changed. They can't be altered because we want to think we can do that. Uh, there's only two genders, male and female. In Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That's all you're ever going to find. Now, people talk about these um, people who were born with multiple genital uh uh, genitals as far as male and female. By the way, that is so very, very rare. And when that does happen, that's simply a biological defect. It's a birth defect. You don't use that to judge something as natural and normal. No, that's the exception to the rule. And there's very, very few people that have that condition. Uh, our biology determines our gender. God determines our gender. And let me end by just saying, we're living in a culture that has thrown out any standard of right and wrong or ultimate truth. So what has become of that is that people can now think they can be or do or say anything they want, but that's not true. You can think that and you can feel that way if you want, but it's not reality. You're, you're, you're leaving the, the realm of reality to think that, okay? I think of what the book of Judges. It's one of the most illicit, dark books in the Bible, and you ought to read it. There's some, there's some things about homosexuality in there and all kinds of other really illicit, twisted things, but here's why. Listen to the condition of the world during the period of the book of Judges and tell me if it doesn't exactly speak of the culture in America today. The last verse of the entire book, and it's stated earlier, but the last verse sums the whole book up. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see that? Let me apply that to today. If you don't have an authority over you, that king would be an authority. Christ came to be our Lord, our master. He's my king. He's the one I submit my life to and I love. And he, he loves me. And his rule over my life has been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But see, I'm accountable to him. When people don't think there's a God, they're being lied to that there's no God, that we're just a product of an animal by evolution and, and so forth, uh, they have no responsibility, they think. And so if they want to claim they're, they're a male when they're really not or claim they're a female when they're really not or claim they're a dog or, or be, they want to identify as a cat so people have to put a litter box in the, in the school uh, classroom for them, this is it's unbelievable, friends. It's really went off the hinges. We know the reality says God is real, He is true, and He's created every person, male or female, and until a man comes to that reality, he'll just he'll believe anything he wants and think he can get away with that. His life will be ruined by it. By the way, homosexuals and transgender people have one of, if not the highest rate of suicide in the world. Am I happy about that? Of course not. It breaks my heart. We want these people to come to the truth, to understand the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ and being delivered from that wrong same-sex attraction or that wrong feeling about there being another gender when they're not. God can deliver them. His power, the power of the gospel can save anyone, and it will if they'll come in humility and they'll be tired of, of, of fighting that conviction that they have to be swallowing and fighting against to even continue in that lifestyle, continue in the lie that they're living. 
if they'll repent, they'll humble themselves, say, God, I'm sorry, I accept how you made me, and I accept that sexuality was supposed to be between man and woman and marriage only, and God, forgive me of that lifestyle and forgive me of doing things my own way. If they'll come in that kind of humble repentance, God will save them and change their life. He's done it for many, many people. Ministries are out there that have shown that to happen in many, many people's lives. And I rejoice in that. Well, thank you for listening. I know there's been a deep subject, but we want to show our love to all these people. Please, friend, if you're a Christian listening to this, reach out to a homosexual, transgender person if you know them. Show them your love. Respect them. Be kind to them. We've had them come to our church on many occasions, different people uh, who were in lesbian or homosexual relationships or transgender, and we have never, ever disrespected them. We've never asked them to leave. We've never been harsh or rude or, or unloving to them. We have reached out to them and really, in some way, did all we could to, to try to love them and help them. Now, many of them eventually left and didn't agree with our biblical position on these issues, but it wasn't because we pushed them away. They walked away. And so there's a difference. Well, I hope, hope this has helped you. Remember our motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.